calling all lovers of mystery and fans of a good story. If you haven't already heard me talk about June's journey, you're in for a treat. It's time to don your detective hat in this free hidden object mobile game that delves into the captivating journey of June Parker, a self-proclaimed detective on a quest to unravel the mystery surrounding her sister's untimely death. In June's journey, you get to play as June, deciphering clues and unveiling secret plots within thousands of beautifully illustrated scenes. And did I mention it's set in the glitzy 1920s? New chapters are added weekly, so you will never run out of new thrills to uncover, and you can also personalize and decorate your very own Orchid Island where the story takes place. How sharp are your detective skills? Find out when you download June's Journey on your Android or iOS device, or play online via Facebook games. Your detective journey awaits. Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Buntwine, erstwhile monk-turned-traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world, that ours is not a loving god, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Buntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the One Woman Book Club podcast. I'm your host, Grace, and this is the podcast where we bring the magical world of book clubs right to your ears. I'll be discussing any current reads, new releases, or news going on in the book world, as well as discussing one half of our monthly book club pick, which this month is Notes on an Execution by Danya Kukovka. I hope I'm pronouncing that right. Um... It's an amazing book so far, and I'll get into that a little bit later, but I hope you're all having a fantastic start to your September. I literally cannot believe we're already nearly halfway through what is happening. It is just so crazy. In this episode, as is now tradition for the first half of the month, I'll be recapping all the books I read in August, telling you which was my favorite, recapping the celebrity book club picks for September, discussing book of the month choices for September, and any books I'm currently reading, as well as any new releases coming out this month, and all of the books I'm prioritizing. So if you're looking for new books to read for September and into early October, apart from our book club pick, this is the perfect episode to start with because I have a lot to say. So clearly we have a lot to get through. I'm going to start off by saying I hope you're all really enjoying Notes on an Execution. Um, I'm personally, I'm going to have a hard time saying this title correctly. And as I've been talking about it, like in my head, or, you know, writing show notes or anything like that, I have been thinking note on your sudden disappearance, because that was one of my favorite books in 2021. It's by Alison Esbach. It's so good. One of my all time favorites. Um, So I keep wanting to say note on your sudden execution (laughs) and like combining the two titles, which is clearly incorrect, but it almost makes me giggle like whenever I think about it, even though both books are quite dark. Um, Anyway, I hope you're enjoying the September book. You should be just about at the halfway mark for this episode. This is one of those books that is quite frustrating to me because it doesn't have traditional chapters. But we stopped right before reading the section titled Lavender 2002, which in the paperback edition like I'm reading is right at about page 144. There is already so much to discuss with this one. I am thoroughly enjoying it. Um, It is super, super duper heavy, which I expected going in, but I am really loving it so far. I 
am, however, getting some mixed reviews over on my Instagram. If you're not following me, it's at Grace's Reading Nook. Um, I'm sure the vast majority of you are, but that's where I will be posting poll questions for all the books that we read on One Woman Book Club. Um, and as I was kind of, I did some poll questions, which I'll talk about when we get more into the book later. And some mixed responses. I, I feel like not everyone is loving it, and that's totally fine. Um, but I'm intrigued to know what everyone is thinking. So as you're reading in the next couple of weeks, if anything sparks your interest or anything you would like me to discuss on the podcast, um, even if I don't have poll questions up, always message me. Um, I read DMs pretty much on a daily basis. So anyway, we'll get into that a little bit later. But let's start by recapping my August. So August was a light reading month for me. I ended up finishing four books. I talked about this in my August wrap up on my Instagram page, um, but it's something I have to remind myself of very often. And that's that all reading is good reading. It doesn't matter if you finished 20 books this month or one, as long as you're enjoying what you're reading and the act and the hobby of reading, you're doing something right. And I think it's really easy for all of us to fall into the comparison syndrome online when it comes to all things, definitely, but definitely for reading too. I see other creators reading tons and tons and tons of books each month. And sometimes I wish I had that much time to read that many books for myself and for my audience and you guys so I could share more great picks. But I realize probably, I mean, you definitely follow me for my book reviews and all that, but you're not following me for the sheer number of books I read a month. I follow bookstagrammers for their honesty in their reviews, like creative photos, the personality that shines shines through their pages and their, you know, reviews that they write. And I know that to many people who follow me, that's probably why you do. And also the fact to some of you that I read four books might be a lot. Um, And if you would have told me two years ago that I thought that four was a low number of books to read in a month, I would have been shocked because I couldn't get through a single book in four months two years ago. So anyway, this is just a message to really just try not to compare yourself to other readers and to instead just enjoy what you're reading. And in 2024, I'm actually going to prioritize quality over quantity of reads, I think. And I may not even make a book goal, but that's another story and officially the end of my rant about books that I read in August. I will say I probably read four books because I was incredibly busy this month. So on top of my normal Monday through Friday, nine to five job, I also started a part-time waitressing job to earn a little bit of extra money. And I'm also doing a bunch of freelance work on the side. So all of that, along with keeping up with my bookstagram, podcast, and social life has really left me little to no downtime. But I do this to myself. I honestly do love being busy and having a routine. So it's been good, but yes, extremely busy. So leaving very little time for reading for fun. Let's talk about the books. Um, I did talk about the majority of them in August's episodes. But just to recap, the first book I read this month was The Guest by Emma Klein. And I will say it was a slow start to my reading month. I think I started a couple of books that I couldn't get into that I actually can't even remember now before settling on reading The Guest. This was a total middle of the road read for me. Um, I follow an amazing creator on Instagram, Beach Reads and Bubbly, who I know if you don't follow her, um, all of you would really, really love her. And she had a really great review for this one, which really mimicked how I felt. It was that the book made her feel stupid. And that's exactly how I felt, which isn't a great way to feel, obviously. And I just mean that there are so many people who absolutely adored this book. 
And it just made me feel like I was missing something because I just didn't understand the hype. And it was almost like a joke that I like wasn't in on almost. So the first half totally dragged for me. And while the second half definitely picked up, it still wasn't enough to get it much past a three, if not a two and a half. Like I talk about this a lot, but as I sit on books and I give them a three, I'm like, you know what? Like it was more like a two and a half. Like when I read a really, really good book, which I just finished one yesterday, which I will talk about very shortly. When I read a really, really good book, I'm like, oh, the guest is like so much lower now. Do you know, or not just the guest, but like any book that I rated a three, when I read like a five or even like five plus star read, I'm like, oh, that was way lower. So I would say more of like a two and a half. Personally, I really didn't enjoy Emma Klein's writing style, which we all know is huge for me. And I'm not sure if I'll actually pick up another Emma Klein book because of that, but we'll have to see. Next up, we all read The Seven Year Slip by Ashley Poston for our August One Woman Book Club pick. So I don't feel the need to get into too, too much detail on it since I've spent nearly two hours dissecting it. But it was a super duper sweet book. I really loved Ashley Poston's writing style. Definitely want to read her other book, The Dead Romantics. It won't be an all-time favorite, but one I would recommend for romance lovers, and I gave it a four out of five. Next, a book that will come as no surprise to anyone when I say it's my favorite book of the year so far, Shark Heart by Emily Hebeck. Though, as I'll talk about later, I have another book that is giving it a run for its money. But speaking of Shark Heart for now, I spent a great portion of the last episode talking about it. So I don't, and on my Instagram, honestly. So I don't want to talk your ear off about it again. But clearly a five out of five. It is nearly perfect, if not 100% perfect in my eyes. And I already want to reread it. Lastly, to end out the month, I read None of This is True by Lisa Jewell. This is the one book from the last month that I haven't talked about on the podcast yet. And this is also one of the book of the month choices from last month um, that I didn't pick up, pretty much one of the only ones I didn't. My friend Noelle, who I had on the podcast in February, picked it as her book for book of the month. And she was obsessed with it and said I had to read it. Um, Another one of my friends really, really was loving it. And all of that, along with truly the 500 other five-star reviews I saw of it all over Bookstagram, made me borrow the book from Noelle. And I have to say, everyone is right. Is the book anything completely revolutionary? No. But the characters that Lisa Jewell paints are so realistic and twisted, and I could not get enough. It was incredibly fast-paced and was one of those thrillers that I truly could not put down for longer than five minutes. I just needed to know what would happen next. I also love the mild epistolary elements in this one. And while I wish the ending was a bit stronger and had a few more twists, it was still a 4.5 out of 5 for me. And I know it's one that thriller lovers will devour. So if you're not familiar with it, it's about a podcaster named Alex Summer, who meets a woman named Josie Flair on her 45th birthday when she's out to dinner with her friends. And it turns out that Josie is also turning 45 and that both ladies were born in the same hospital. Josie becomes obsessed with Alex and her life and wants to be on her podcast as a way to reinvent herself. Alex finds Josie's story quite interesting and haunting and agrees to start a new series titled, Hi, I'm Your Birthday Twin. And as it unravels, both women's lives will never be the same. It was so good, you guys. I highly, highly recommend it. And I really think it will get anyone out of a reading slump and is a must read for the spooky months. And that ends out August for me. And I'm sure you can all guess it, but drumroll, please. My favorite book of August was Shark Heart by Emily Hebeck. You have to pick it up. 
All right, so now let's start looking at September because there are so many great new books on the horizon and one in particular I'm very excited about and one that I have already read this month that I will save for the very end of all of the new releases and everything. Um, so stay tuned because I have so much to say and uh, I know I just read this book, but it may be better than Shark Heart in my eyes. I don't know. Okay, I can't wait to talk about it. But first, let's start with Celebrity Book Club picks. My favorite Celebrity Book Club is Read with Jenna. I am a huge Today Show fan, and I feel like Jenna Jenna's books just always hit. And then we have a very similar taste in books. I saw her announce this one on Instagram. And as she was talking about it, she almost started crying. And her passion for it has made me want to pick it up even more. It's called Amazing Grace Adams by Fran Littlewood. And let me read you the synopsis. Grace Adams gave birth, blinked, and now suddenly she is 45, perimenopausal, and stalled, the unhappiest age you can be, according to The Guardian. And today, she's really losing it. Stuck in traffic, she finally has had enough. To the astonishment of everyone, Grace gets out of her car and simply walks away. Grace sets off across London, armed with a $200 cake to win back her estranged teenage daughter on her 16th birthday. Because today is the day she'll remind her daughter that no matter how far we fall, we can always get back up again. Because Grace Adams used to be amazing. Her husband thought so. Her daughter thought so. Even Grace thought so. But everyone seems to have forgotten. Grace is about to remind them, and most important, herself. This book to me just seems like a total joy. I heard that you will laugh and cry. I was also in Bull Moose a few days ago and I saw it on the shelves and almost picked it up but resisted for now. It's a really short book, which I didn't expect. So one I think I could probably get through in one day. Um, it has glowing reviews from other authors like Paula Hawkins, Mary Beth Keane, and Leanne Moriarty. This one hadn't been on my radar until Jenna posted about it, but just completely jumped to the top of my list. I cannot wait to read it. It has similar vibes to me for some reason to um, none of not none of this is true. Nothing to see here by Kevin Wilson, which is another Reba Jenna pick that's like super short and just poignant. Um, really love that book. The Good Morning America book club chose Happiness Falls by Angie Ken this month, which I chose as one of my book of the month club picks for August. This one has been everywhere recently and is getting a lot of great publicity and reviews. And if you missed it, here is the synopsis. We didn't call the police right away. Those are the first electric words of this extraordinary novel about a biracial Korean American family in Virginia whose lives are upended when their beloved father and husband goes missing. Mia, their irreverent, hyper-analytical 20-year-old daughter, has an explanation for everything, which is why she isn't initially concerned when her father and younger brother Eugene don't return from a walk in a nearby park. They must have lost their phone or stopped for an errand somewhere. But by the time Mia's brother runs through the front door bloody and alone, it becomes clear that the father in this tight-knit family is missing and the only witness is Eugene, who has a rare genetic condition, Angel Man Syndrome, and cannot speak. What follows is both a ticking clock investigation into the whereabouts of a father and an emotionally rich portrait of a family whose most personal secrets just may be at the heart of his disappearance. This one sounds incredibly emotional and heart pumping and a great mix of a family drama and thriller. Um, I will say one of my favorite creators on Instagram, Emily Booked Up, just read it. And while she said she enjoyed it, she thought it was going to be more like a thriller from the synopsis, but it's definitely more of a family drama. I don't mind that, but just definitely something to keep in mind if it does sound interesting to you. 
It has glowing reviews from some of my favorite authors, Jodi Pico and Napolitano and Gabrielle Zevin. And because this is one I already own, I will definitely be prioritizing it for September. Lastly, we have Reese's Book Club. And if you know me, you know that Reese's choices are usually hit or miss. She has chosen for September Mother Daughter Murder Night by Nina Simon this month. And this is actually a book I've already read. I was sent an arc of this. And while it wasn't a total miss, it wasn't a book I particularly liked. It's more of a cozy thriller. Nothing really revolutionary happens. But I did find some of the characters to be intriguing. I would personally say you can skip this one, but I will read you the synopsis to see for yourselves. High-powered businesswoman Lana Rubicon has a lot to be proud of, her keen intelligence, impeccable taste, and the LA real estate empire she's built. But when she finds herself trapped 300 miles north of the city, convalescing in a sleepy coastal town with her adult daughter Beth and teenage granddaughter Jack, Lana is stuck counting otters instead of square footage and hoping that boredom won't kill her before the cancer does. Then Jack, tiny in stature but fiercely independent, happens upon a dead body while kayaking. She quickly becomes a suspect in the homicide investigation and the Rubicon women are thrown into chaos. Beth thinks Lana should focus on recovery, but Lana has a better idea. She'll put on a wig, find the true murderer, protect her family, and prove she still has power. Now, I don't want to completely turn you guys off from this one because clearly some people loved it if it's Reese's pick, but it just wasn't for me. I found it to be quite boring and that the pacing was pretty off. However, give it a shot if you think it's something you could be into. So those are our celebrity book club picks for September, and I feel like we have some great ones. Now let's get into book of the month before talking about new releases I'm excited about and what I'm prioritizing for September. I will start by saying if you haven't joined book of the month, it's a fantastic monthly subscription service where you can get a brand new hardcover book, sometimes one that isn't even released yet for just $16. You can get your first book for just $5 by using the link in my Instagram bio. Now, all honesty, I did not get a September box, which is so rare for me, I know. Um, And it's not because there weren't some great choices, there definitely were. But for me, I just felt like I still have so many books to get through that I bought in August that I can't even add any more books to the mix yet. And I do have some books on my radar for September that I know I want to pick up and they weren't included in book of the month, which is totally fine. Um, But I did skip it and held off to see what they have for October. Our main picks this month, were The Intern by Michelle Campbell, which is a legal thriller, Evil Eye by Etoff Frum, which is a contemporary fiction, You Again by Kate Goldbeck, which is a romance, The Stranger Upstairs by Lisa M. Matlin, which is a thriller, and The River We Remember by William Kent Kruger, which is a historical fiction. And if I was buying a box this month, I most likely would choose Evil Eye and You Again, mostly because their covers are stunning, but I have heard that Etoff Rum's first book was incredible, but You Again is a debut. Um, Because I didn't buy a box this month, I don't feel the need to go too, too deep into what these books are, but if any of them do catch your eye, definitely head on over to Book of the Month to get your hands on one. There were also some really, really great add-ons added to the site. Bright Young Women by Jessica Knoll, who is the author of Luckiest Girl Alive. Um, If if you've been following me for a while, you'll know that I really didn't like Luckiest Girl Alive at all and really don't see the hype. So I didn't even watch the series with Mila Kunis, but I will say the cover of Bright Young Woman looks absolutely stunning. Um, and I think it has something to do with the Ted Bundy murders. I think I might be wrong about that. Um, so I may give her another chance. 
We have two more new to me books as add-ons this month, both with stunning covers, While You Were Out by Meg Kissinger and The Vaster Wilds by Lauren Groth. And that's that for book of the month. So now let's get into the books I'm prioritizing for September and the September new releases I'm most excited for. The very, very tippy top of my list in a book that I'm prioritizing this month and that comes out this month is The Last Devil to Die, which is the fourth book in the Thursday Murder Club series by Richard Osman. Earlier in the episode, I talked about a cozy thriller when I talked about Mother Daughter Murder Night, and I got that term from one of my favorite shows, Only Murders in the Building, where they talk about cozy murder. But this series is the ultimate cozy murder, cozy thriller series. If you've been following me on Instagram for a while, you know my love of the Thursday Murder Club series, and I am so excited for this new one to come out on September 19th. This series follows four elderly people living in a peaceful retirement village where they meet weekly to discuss unsolved crimes, and they call themselves the Thursday Murder Club. Each book focuses on a different murder and crime, and somehow these people always get themselves into trouble as they're trying to solve it. We also, of course, get a peek into each of their individual lives, and it is all so endearing, and I will say the twists are always top-notch and so much fun. So, like I said, this new one, The Last Devil to Die, is set to come out on September 19th, and you know I'll be racing to Bull Moose to pick up my copy, and I am just so excited about it. As I mentioned earlier, I am newly excited about Amazing Grace Adams by Fran Littlewood. This was a new to me book, but I just know I'm going to love it. This has already been released on September 5th. So if it seems up your alley, head on out to pick up your copy. If you're into romance books, you've probably heard of Lucy's Score. I myself have never read a Lucy's Score book, but I've heard they are quite good. Her new book is out already. It came out on September 5th, and that is Things We Left Behind. This is her third book in her Knock Me Out series, and I know it's going to be a huge release for many of you. A book I recently saw, again, Apple Moose, that released on September 5th that I didn't have on my radar was The September House by Carissa Orlando. And ever since I saw it, I've actually seen a lot of bookstagrammers posting about it and really enjoying it and saying it's almost more like a comedy and a horror. Um, So right up my alley, obviously. And it's blurbed by one of my favorite authors, Grady Hendrix, right on the cover, um, which is also beautiful. So you know, it all caught my eye. This is one I'm also going to be prioritizing this month if I can get my hands on a copy. So let me read you the synopsis. When Margaret and her husband Hal bought the large Victorian house on Hawthorne Street for sale at a surprisingly reasonable price, they couldn't believe they finally had a home of their own. Then they discovered the hauntings. Every September, the walls drip blood. The ghosts of former inhabitants appear, and all of them are terrified of something that lurks in the basement. Most people would flee. Margaret is not most people. Margaret is staying. It's her house. But after four years, Hal can't take it anymore, and he leaves abruptly. Now he's not returning calls, and their daughter Catherine, who knows nothing about the hauntings, arrives intent on looking for her missing father. To make things worse, September has just begun, and with every attempt Margaret and Catherine make at finding Hal, the hauntings grow more harrowing, because there are some secrets the house needs to keep. If this isn't the perfect horror book to enter fall with this September, I don't know what is. I am so excited to grab it and read it ASAP. 
There are two more horror books releasing this month on September 12th, so tomorrow, that seem interesting. First is Black Sheep by Rachel Harrison, about a woman named Vesper who left home at 18 and never looked back because she was pretty much escaping a creepily religious community, and they say that once she leaves, she can never come back. But then an envelope arrives on her doorstep, inviting her to her beloved cousin Rosie's wedding. Have they made an exception to the rule, or is it a trap? This one just seems incredibly intriguing to me and one I cannot wait to pick up. Then we have Rogue by Mona Awad, who wrote the book All's Well that has been sitting on my shelf for literal years at this point, and for some reason I still haven't picked it up. She also wrote Bunny, which I know many, many people love. This is being marketed as Snow White meets Eyes Wide Shut, and because of that, I could not be more intrigued. The synopsis talks about how this woman named Bella has been obsessed with her skin and skincare videos for as long as she can remember. When her estranged mother dies, she goes to California to deal with her mother's death and questions about her death. A woman shows up at her funeral, offering her a transformative spa experience, and Bella decides to go. It seems very spooky and intriguing for sure. I also just received an ARC in the mail of the Second Chance Hotel by Sierra Godfrey, and it seems absolutely adorable. This one also releases on September 12th. It says, it's all fun and games until you accidentally marry a stranger in Greece and inherit a hotel. Amelia Lang's life is kind of a mess. She's stuck living at home with her narcissistic mother. Her tech bro ex-boyfriend sabotages her work. She gets fired throwing a mug at his head. So she runs away. After traveling Europe for three months, she settles on a small Greek island to reset her life. But then she gets tricked into marrying James, another guest at the hotel. And to top it off, they're gifted the very hotel they're staying in. If you're holding on to the last bits of summer, this may be the perfect book for you. And honestly, before things get too spooky, I may just have to pick this one up. Going a little more spooky, we have a book called Witch of Wild Things by Rachel Vasquez Gilliand, which is a magical romance. It's about a woman named Sage who has been running from her family's powers since she was a kid, but is forced to reconnect with them and her ability to communicate with plants. This task is complicated when her high school boyfriend comes back into the picture and they have to work together to help heal the town and their own hearts in the process. Sounds super cute and magical and incredible. And I know this is getting incredibly long, but I do have a few more I want to call out that I will let you all look up on your own time. But ones that are high at the top of my list for new releases this month, there just happen to be about a million. Picture Perfect Autumn by Shelley North. I mean, come on. If you look up the cover, it is just stunning. And it will be one I pick up but may wait to read until October because it's just too cute. It's a fall romance that releases on September 19th. Another 19th release is The Unfortunate Side Effects of Heartbreak and Magic by Brianne Randall, which again, I may pick up when it releases, but wait until October to read. This one is for fans of Practical Magic and Gilmore Girls, and is a debut novel that explores the shields we build around our hearts to retain our own magic. I'm dead. It sounds literally incredible and right up my alley for October and spooky season. And lastly, for fans of The Invisible Life of Addie LaRue, which I know there are many, comes a new book from V.E. Schwab called The Fragile Threads of Power, which releases on the 26th of September. Looks like I'm going to be buying a lot of books this month, and that's okay. I'll survive, but I am so excited. There are so many cute fall books on the horizon because I have been dying to stock my shelves with them. 
For books that aren't new, I want to prioritize some books that are already on my shelves this month, including Hello Beautiful by Anne Napolitano. It's been on my list for a while, but my friend on Booksta, Read with Kel Scram, just had a raving review of it, so it jumped up to the top of my list. Um, The next book I think I'm going to pick up is The Wishing Game by Meg Schaefer, along with You Are Here by Karen Lynn Greenberg. So those are all the books I'm prioritizing from my own shelves, along with a lot of those new releases and, of course, notes on an execution. So as always, it looks like I've got quite a lot of reading to do. In one of the books that I wanted to prioritize for September that I actually wrote down to talk about, but I ended up reading it and finishing it before recording this episode is maybe my favorite book of the year. It's right now, I don't know, you guys, it's giving me so many feelings. I'm just gonna say it, I've been been just teasing it throughout this whole episode. It's Talking at Night by Claire Daverly. And I am just in awe with this book. Um, So this was one I believe I had put as a potential one woman book club podcast book choice. I can't remember which month it was for now, but I definitely put it as a choice, but it did not win. And you guys are missing out if you have not read this book or even heard of it. I'm just I am blown away. I haven't put my full review on um, Instagram yet, but I'm planning on doing that this week. Um, My heart just can't it can't take it like I am. I'm so connected to these characters in this book. Um, Shark Heart was amazing and it's so unique and so powerful, but Talking at Night is right up there for me as well. So I'm going to read you guys the synopsis from Goodreads. Um, it's been on my shelf for a while. It's been on my radar for a while. For some reason, I remember when it came out this year, it's a new release for 2023. And sometimes I just peruse on random blogs, like what's going to be coming out this month. And this was one of them. And it was marketed as almost like a coming of age romance, which I know you guys know was like right up my alley. And so it was always going to be on my list. And so I picked it up the last time I went to Barnes and Noble. The cover is stunning. There's two covers. Um, The one that I have is I, I love more. It's like the pink and the blue, which is I can't you guys it's so good. Anyway, I picked it up for a lot of reasons because I wanted to, but also it's kind of going a little bit viral on book talk right now on TikTok. Um, And I saw a lot of people comparing it to Normal People by Sally Rooney, which I've unfortunately never read or watched, but saying that it was better than it. Um, And yeah, I mean, I've never read or seen Normal People, but I can't imagine it would be better than this. I'm just saying. So let me read you the synopsis. Will and Rosie meet as teenagers. They're opposites in every way. She overthinks everything. He is her twin brother's wild and unpredictable friend. But over secret walks home and late night phone calls, they become closer. Destined to be one another's great love story. Until one day, tragedy strikes and their future together is shattered. But as the years roll on, Will and Rosie can't help but find their way back to each other. Time and again, they come close to rekindling what might have been. What do you do when the one person you should forget is the one you just can't let go? The writing in this book, you guys, it's next level. It's five out of five plus 100% perfect, like a true masterpiece. I felt so connected to the character of Rosie, she felt like me. The way she described like how she deals with like anxiety and OCD and just like her overthinking and her thoughts felt so, so similar to me. Um, Will is just so dreamy um, and it's so complicated. Like I know I say it's a romance. It's just really like about 
to people struggling with like grief and loss and depression and mental illness um, and like makes you believe in soulmates. And it definitely has that romance element, but it's really just about like the people you can't let go of in your life. Um, It's just unbelievable. It's honest. It's raw. It's real. It really is a true look at what it means to like fight for who you love. Um, I was in full on ugly crying mode for the last 30 minutes, like could, I was like heaving. I was so, so sad. It was just so emotional, like so, so emotional. I just don't want to leave the characters or the story behind. Um, I just don't know how Claire Daverly did this. She crafted such unique characters that were so full of depth. Like, I feel like I truly know them. Um, it's an incredibly melancholy book, obviously, but it's so honest to what it feels like to experience all these things um, and the sparks of hope along the way at the beginning of the book when they're teenagers like falling in love. I was literally giggling and like giddy with how much I loved it. I loved it from the first page. It just makes you like believe in happiness and true love and it makes you want to fight for these people in this book who so deserve to be happy but don't see that in themselves. I have a major book hangover after finishing it. And if this sounds up your alley, you have to read this book. You're going to absolutely devour it. I am obsessed and probably won't shut up about it for a very long time. But it's right up there as one of my top books of the year, which is crazy because I just read Shark Heart. But clearly this this quarter of my life has been really, really good for reading. Um, And I'm just obsessed. So I have to form coherent thoughts when I try to make my review about it on Bookstagram. So there'll be more coherent thoughts coming when I write that review later this week. But just know you need to read it. That was quite the first half of this podcast. If you don't have a new book to read after that, I don't know what to tell you because I feel like you are stacked and should have plenty of ideas for your next library or bookstore run. That was a lot of fun. I hope you all enjoyed it. Hey there, it's Rachel Ballinger, and I am thrilled to invite you to Rachel Uncensored, my podcast where I get real with my friends and celebrity guests, where we talk about all sorts of topics. From personal stories to hot button issues, we cover it all. New episodes drop every Wednesday, so make sure you tune in on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Trust me, you won't want to miss out on the fun and candid conversations we have here on Rachel Uncensored to really enjoy when I did this for August. So super fun. So without further ado, let's get into our September book club pick Notes on an Execution by Danya Kukovka. If you are not halfway through this book, which is the chapter titled Lavender 2002, please stop listening. If you don't care about spoilers or you've already read this one, by all means, just keep listening. So now I'm just going to go in depth about what's been going on in this book so far. As always, we'll start off with my chapter by chapter synopsis, and then we'll get into some of your thoughts that I asked you on Instagram. Prologue, 12 hours. Our story begins with Ansel Packer in his prison cell on death row with 12 hours left to live. I saw a TikTok about this book where this woman said it was incredible, but she did mention it was written in second person. So that means that the author is referring to the main character as us. So like you get out of bed and put on your shoes. And to be honest, I don't think I've ever read another book like that. Let me know if you have. Um, Personally, I found it pretty easy to zone out on the tense when I'm reading and like what person it's written from. But I know that some readers, including some of my friends, are really picky about it. If I had to choose, I would probably choose first person because I just feel like it's easier to get into the mind of a character that way. But anyway, we learned that Ansel is on death row for being a serial killer of girls. 
He loves to paint. He seems to be well-liked within the prison, especially by one prison guard named Shauna, who doesn't believe he committed the crimes, it seems like. They talked briefly about a coerced confession, which makes my mind immediately go to Making a Murderer, if you ever saw that documentary on Netflix. That is the perfect example of a coerced confession, which basically means the cops led someone to confessing by wearing them down with very specific questions that could leave a lot of ambiguity. I'm very curious to learn more about the crimes. It seems like Shauna is going to try to get him out of his execution later that day. So we will have to see. He also brings up two women I'm sure we'll hear more about, Blue and Jenny. He mentions that Blue lived in the Blue House, and that's the only photograph he has in his cell, along with a one-page letter from Blue. Who was Blue? Then we have the chapter Lavender 1973. Wowza. Lavender's story was truly spectacular, you guys. It was so heartbreaking, yet full of love. Ansel's mom, Lavender, made the I think, the ultimate sacrifice by giving up her children and escaping. There was no way for her to get out with both of her boys, so she had to leave them despite her love. And that's the way I took it. I'd be really curious if you guys took it any other way, but I didn't see any other way for her to get out of the situation she was in with her husband. If she tried to leave with the boys, like they would have made a fuss or maybe the husband wouldn't have let the boys go into the supermarket with her. Um, or the convenience store, rather. And she can't drive on her own. So she couldn't have just left in the middle of the night with the boys, again, without them making a fuss or anything like that. So just really, really heartbreaking. And of course, there's the whole point that she like really hated her life and really wanted to be with her friend Julie and maybe even live in California. Like she felt like she never had her young years. Um, But I took it as almost like the ultimate sacrifice of love. Um, of course, she struggled with postpartum depression, especially after baby number two, who I said we still don't have the name for and we don't. But mostly the, all of her depression and everything was due to Johnny's abuse and truly the loss of all of her happiness. She said she met Johnny when she was 16 and then most likely she was 17 when she had Ansel. I can't even imagine being that young and isolated from everyone around me. And I found the letters that she wrote to her friend Julie in her head incredibly endearing and so sweet and innocent. I appreciated how she handled the situation and that she did what she could. It's all she could do to stop the boys from being abused by Johnny, who didn't go after them. He never went back to find them, which is sad, but also probably in her mind, she thought she probably hoped that he never would. Right. But of course, the boys are so, so young that they may not see it that way. Instead, I'm sure they're going to feel very abandoned by both of their parents. And it broke my heart that Lavender still had the locket that she gave to Ansel to keep him safe, as I'm sure that would have been a small assurance to get that he was safe um, for her. The foster care system can be incredibly tough on children, and I have a feeling it's going to be really tough on these boys, unfortunately. I also have to comment on the fact that Ansel killed a squirrel, it seems, Or is it possible we're made to think that because we know he's in jail for murder? It's well known that murderers have been known to kill animals in their childhood and like innocent things like that, though we actually never really see Ansel committing the crime of killing the chipmunk, just coming home with it beheaded. But regardless, I'm sure we'll find out. Um, That was just a really beautifully written both prologue and first chapter, I mean, and whole first half, but... It's really the lavender part reminded me of Betty by Tiffany McDaniel for some reason. Um, 
And then I said, I wonder if we'll ever hear from Lavender again, or if she's ever been reunited with her boys other than just them swimming in the ocean, like she mentioned. But I just realized um, we definitely will hear from Lavender again, because the part we read up to for today's episode is Lavender 2002, which makes me very excited to see where she is and what's been going on. Now we're back in the jail with Ansel. And we learn right away that Ansel has only seen the ocean twice, once with Jenny when they went to visit her parents, and he says before they were married. So at some point, he's going to marry Jenny. We also learn that he's in his late 40s and remembers only bits and pieces of his mother, but absolutely nothing of his father except a pounding at the base of his skull. He still calls his brother Baby Packer, so it's possible they got separated before he ever had a name. Clearly, we know what happened now, but that's okay. We learn that Shauna is going to try to help him escape, which I'm sure is only going to lead to bad things, and that it's possible he actually did commit the crimes because he keeps saying things like, the photos of what I did. And maybe it's possible he's not as cold and calculated and evil as people think. Maybe he somehow had a reason. I don't know. And I guess the first time he hurt someone was when he was 12. And it seems like he was at an orphanage of some kind, which I'm sure we'll learn about. It's very, very interesting learning these very vague bits and pieces about his life when it's being told in second person, and then just digging deeper into it in third person when it's told from the other women's POVs. And I'm really, really enjoying that aspect of it so far. Then we get the story of Safi in 1984. And I said, this story was incredible too. We learn the story of the first person that Ansel hurt, Saffron Singh from Miss Gemma's foster home. Safi is the sweetest girl whose mother died from, I'm guessing, murder, but it's never said. Her father was from India, I believe, um, and so he wasn't really in the picture. And Safi just has four things she loves and has the simplest of pleasures. She has very, very sweet friends at the foster home and at the beginning of the chapter, a big crush on Ansel. After a night they spent listening to records together, she makes him a valentine, and when she goes to give it to him, she sees him playing with dead animals. The people at the foster home have been finding the dead animals everywhere, and Safi herself has been trying to figure out that mystery for a while. When she learns that it's Ansel who's been killing the animals and leaving them throughout the foster home, she's obviously disgusted and heartbroken and really doesn't know how to handle it. She's 12 years old. She's so young. She goes back to her room. And soon Ansel knocks on her door and gives her roommate cookies he saved as kind of like a peace offering and to say sorry. And her and her roommates giggle because they're all really, really uncomfortable and like don't know what to do. And because they were giggling at him, Ansel is offended and puts the dead fox in Safi's bed. Oh, so, so creepy, you guys. And just the way they're describing the fox and it's just like decomposing. It's really gross and really, really scary and sad. Safi stops eating and even going to her room because she's so disgusted and depressed. And because of all that, she has to leave the home and be transferred to a different one. Ansel apologizes before she leaves and says he doesn't mean to hurt the animals, but he feels so alone sometimes. And when he does, he gets violent. Oh, it's just overall so sad. And I just I really don't know how to feel. I honestly felt sick. I was so sad for Ansel when he gave her the oatmeal raisin cookies he was clearly saving. But honestly, for the both of them, it was almost like they were experiencing love for the first time. But it seemed like even though the girls had crushes on Ansel, he still didn't really have anyone while Safi had her friends. 
I am in no way at all saying that Ansel killing animals and leaving one in Safi's bed is good. It's extremely horrifying. And I just hate that he left the fox on Safi's beautiful sheets that she loved. But Ansel is also clearly struggling himself. And we also answered my question of earlier if he killed the chipmunk before. It definitely looks like he did. And I'm starting to believe more and more he probably is a serial killer. But I do somehow still have sympathy for him. And I'm guessing many of you do too, at least at this point, because we don't know too, too much about the actual murders. Poor Safi. I hope she found a foster home where she made just as many good friends as she had at Miss Gemma's. And I hope she was able to find the love her mother always told her about. Oh, and how can I forget? We learn that baby Packer was found dead as soon as the cops arrived at the house. The story Safi was told was that the baby had been hungry all day and Ansel had been trying to feed him, but he starved by the time the cops got there. I want to believe that story for Ansel's sake, but Lavender wasn't gone that long, right? But I really don't think Ansel was capable at that point of killing his baby brother. But in his parts of the story, he says that the screams never stop for him and were almost like background music in his life, which is so sad and so disturbing. Now we're back in Ansel's jail cell and he has eight hours left until he's executed. And we learn that Ansel his whole life has been struggling with panic attacks. And it's mostly from he just has this incessant sound of his baby brothers crying in his head and that that's really what causes the panic attacks. At the worst moments, that sound comes to him and drives him nearly insane. We learn that he's in prison for murders he supposedly committed when he was 17, and it seems like it was three girls. He briefly tells the story of the first, a girl who he liked while working at Dairy Queen. And when they finally went to have sex at his house, he was living alone. He like couldn't um, because he heard his baby brother's screams and cries. He tells us that he saw her walking down the driveway the next day, and then it fades to black. It seems he does the worst things, things he can't explain when he hears the baby's incessant crying. What actually happened to baby Packer? Can he hear the cries because of his guilt? Did he kill him or was he just not able to save him? Now we have the story of Hazel in 1990, and we're starting to get the story of Jenny and Ansel in bits and pieces told incredibly poignantly from the point of view of Jenny's twin sister, Hazel. Hazel lives at home with her parents while Jenny is at college because she's a ballet dancer. She unfortunately broke her knee during a performance, and now she's lost a huge part of, part of herself and is, of course, feeling perpetually lost without dance. Her mother is hopeful she'll get back to it, but she's not so sure. So, of course, when Jenny comes home with Ansel over a Christmas break, who Hazel thinks is very attractive, she is jealous. We get some beautifully juxtaposed scenes of Jenny and Hazel growing up and just how connected the twins are. I absolutely loved that writing and description personally. The whole family seems to really love Ansel and for Christmas, he gives Jenny a purple ring. Okay, right here, I say I'm having a bit of trouble placing it, but is it possible that's the purple ring from the first foster home that the girl had? Also, we learned that Ansel had been to four foster homes. We know of Miss Gemma's and the one he was at when he was a teenager working at Dairy Queen, but what are the other ones? I am just really, really loving how it's all unfolding and really learning about Ansel through the eyes of all of these women. But now I'm confirmed he is definitely creeping me out a bit. Hazel saw him in the backyard in the middle of the night digging a hole in the dirt and snow. Is it possible he killed another animal and was burying it? But why his girlfriend's family's house at Christmas? 
He tells her family that he has a theory that nobody is purely good or bad, but somewhere in between. And because of the choices they make and the way they grew up and what had happened to them, that's how they form their character. I need to know what happened to him and Jenny, and I have a feeling it's not going to be good. Back in Ansel's jail cell with seven hours left, we get a lot revealed here, and I have some things to say. So clearly, as you can tell by my notes, there was definitely a part of me that believed that Ansel may have been wrongly accused. There was that thing about the coerced confession at the beginning. And while that could possibly still be true, I really don't think so. Ansel confessed to killing both the girl from the Dairy Queen and a second girl who worked at the diner and burying them both in the middle of the woods. He said it always starts, like I mentioned, when the ch- when the crying starts. At the very end of the chapter, he says, there is a version of you who never put that fox in Safi Singh's bed, who learned how to banish baby packers screaming any other way, a man who never married Jenny. So is it possible that he did kill baby packer and everything that came after is stemming from the guilt he has for doing it? Many killers and people who do bad things do come from situations like Ansel's. I am an extreme empath and really do feel for everyone. So part of me does sympathize with Ansel for being left by his mother and abused by his father long before his memory started keeping track, although that trauma definitely stays with him. But he truly is a serial killer, and I'm sure we're only going to learn more about the things he's done. He's now coercing Sean into believing they're going to have a life together outside of prison once she helps him escape his execution. And the fact that he continuously lies to women and manipulates them into doing what he wants isn't lost on me. He has this whole written theory that he wants to be put out into the world. And while everyone else is calling it a manifesto, he doesn't believe it's that. He almost believes that This theory he has will change the world, which to me sounds pretty much like a manifesto. It's that theory of good versus evil and multiverses and how there are many different versions of us living our lives different from the one we're now in based on if we made different decisions. It sounds to me like Ansel just holds an incredible amount of guilt stemming all the way back from baby Packer. But does he have guilt for what he did or just sadness because he was caught? Now we have another chapter of Safi's in 1999, and I'm really glad we got another chapter about Safi, Um, and I just, I don't think it'll be the last either. We learned that Safi had a rough patch in her early adulthood and was using drugs, but when the two girls went missing in the 90s, for some reason she was very enthralled with the case. We then learned the third girl that went missing was Lila, her friend from Miss Gemma's, and that her and Kristen, the other friend, are still very close. This is when it all snapped into place for me that I was right about Ansel giving Jenny Lila's ring. So creepy. In 1999, they have found all three of the girls' bodies, and it seems like Ansel has taken a piece of jewelry from each. However, I was wrong, and either I misread it or it was intentionally deceiving. But Ansel didn't murder the girl he slept with from Dairy Queen or tried to sleep with. That was Olympia, and she actually gave a statement against Ansel years ago. And when Safi goes to talk to her about it now that they found the bodies, she tells her about Ansel. He actually killed a different girl who was waiting for a ride after a party. Anyway, so Safi has turned her life around and is now a high-ranking cop. She is absolutely disgusted to learn about Ansel's potential involvement and all of the trauma he caused her immediately comes rushing back. She goes to visit Jenny and realizes she's wearing Lila's ring and that they are engaged. 
So if they're engaged in 1999, they still haven't gotten married, they still have to. So it's going to be a while potentially before Ansel is arrested. Safi is sure that it's Ansel who killed all three girls, but her boss doesn't think so. And they wrongly convict a homeless man of the murders. But at the end, he's hired a big time lawyer who also believes he's been wrongly convicted and he'll probably get out of it. Safi is still driving to Ansel's just to watch him, and I have a good feeling she's going to be the one to put him in jail, thankfully, but I'm very curious how this is all going to play out. Back in Ansel's jail cell, we have six hours left, and it's time for Ansel's transfer, and what happens is what I'm sure we were all thinking would happen. Shauna doesn't put the gun in the car like she promised. He asked her the night before if she would feel the same for him if he really had done it, and even though he swore to her he didn't, his manipulation didn't work on her this time, and she didn't place the gun in the car, thankfully. I'm so proud of Shauna for that. So Ansel is going to be executed. We also learn about his murder of Lila and how he really didn't recognize her until he buried her and he saw the purple ring. It seems as though he did feel remorse after the third murder because he didn't feel any relief like he had from the first two. He even went to the hospital and said he needed help before quickly leaving. He believes in his heart that he is this way because all women ever do is leave him alone. Is Jenny going to leave him? And that is all for the first half of Notes on an Execution. And wow, what a first half it was. To be both in the mind of a serial killer and in some ways feel for him, while also hearing about his story through the women he's encountered and wronged along the way, is incredibly entrancing and such a new take on a thriller. It's almost like reading a true crime. It's all just feeling incredibly real to me. The writing is absolutely unreal and so raw and honest, and I can't believe it's taking me this long to pick it up. I am so happy we chose this for our September book because it feels completely original and definitely unlike anything we've read for the podcast so far. To me, it's like a perfect mix of a thriller and literary fiction. And honestly, so far, I am just fully entranced with the writing and everything about it. I'm really hoping you're all enjoying it. Um, It was really, really hard for me to stop at this halfway point and pick up another book. Um, Thankfully, I picked up Talking at Night, which I ended up loving. Um, But I am just dying to know what happens next in this book, especially since we're going to get a lavender chapter. So you best believe I will be picking it up again as soon as I'm done editing this episode. I need to know all of what happens next. What is the blue house and who is blue? That's something that we really haven't learned anything about yet. What happened to him and Jenny? Is Safi the one who gets him in the end? Does anything ever happen to Shauna? And what about Hazel? And what has Lavender been up to all these years without her children? And did Ansel kill baby Packer or did he die of natural causes? There are so many lingering questions that make it all your typical thriller, but this is just so, so much more than that. Truly a masterpiece so far that I am obsessed with, and I cannot say enough good things. And I did have a chance to ask you all some questions on Instagram about this book so far, so let me pull those up and share your thoughts. First, I asked if you're reading along, how much are you liking it? And I did one of those like um, slider poll things, and we have a lot of mixed reviews. One of you really isn't liking it. Um, the average response is probably about like 60%. If 100% is like you're really loving it, 0% is you're really hating it. I would say it's about like 60 to 70%. So like a 6 to 7 out of 10. Um, which is a little lower, very much lower than 
our other books that we've read for the podcast so far. Then I asked if you are reading along, how far are you? 52% of you said you hadn't started yet, but will. 19% of you said almost caught up for Monday's episode. And 29% of you said you were reading ahead. Then if to better say how much how you guys are feeling, um, I said, are you enjoying the book so far a couple days later? And it was a 50-50 split between yes and no. So very interesting. And it's going to be so, so divisive, I feel like. And I did get a few DMs being like, it's just really, really slow for me to start. Um, Really not enjoying like the writing style. And I can totally see that it's a little bit slow. Um, And it's not like your typical thriller, but I'm really enjoying it so far. Um, again, a 50-50 split when I asked, do you think Ansel purposely killed baby Packer? 50% said yes, and 50% said no. I am personally leaning with um, no. I actually probably don't think that he purposely killed him. Um, I think that he died. I don't think he set out to kill him. He might have like I don't, I don't know. I don't know. So maybe that's why it's a 50-50 split. Um, I just don't think he was that malicious yet in his youth. I know he was killing the animals, but he seemed to really want to protect his brother. I think we're going to get some sort of a twist involved there with Baby Packer. I think there's definitely more than meets the eye. Um, Then I asked, do you think that Jenny is the witness that he's hoping comes to see his execution? And 80% said no and 20% said yes. I was thinking yes, um, but I might just be misreading it. I think the only other option would be whoever Blue is or maybe um, maybe even Safi, but we're going to have to wait and see. And that's about all I asked. Um, confession time, I did ask some open-ended questions. Not many of you responded to them, which is totally fine. I get that it's way easier to put your thoughts down when it's just like a poll question, but some of you did answer and I forgot to screenshot them. Yay. Surprise, surprise. I keep doing that and I'm so sorry. And I promise I won't do that for when we finish up the book, but, um, we're getting a 50, 50 split. I think a lot of you are just really intrigued. Um, I'm okay with a slower book. I think as many of you know, but I think a lot of you and a lot of readers in general really like a book with like a lot of intensity and a lot of twists and turns, especially in what's marketed to be a thriller of sorts. Um, but I'm really enjoying it. And I hope that if you're not, it does pick up for you in the second half. But after an hour of recording, I think we are officially done with today's episode of the One Woman Book Club podcast. Thank you all so much for listening. The next episode will be up in two weeks. And for that episode, all you have to do is finish the book and that will be out on September 25th. So for the next episode on September 25th, just finish notes on your execution and you will be good to go. You have two weeks to do so and I hope you all enjoy it. And be sure to be following me on my Instagram at Grace's Reading Nook where I'll be sharing a lot of book reviews this week and roundups and poll questions as we finish out our September book club pick. Um, as well as most likely sharing our October choices probably in the next coming weeks as well. So if you want to be involved in that voting process, be sure to be following me there. Thank you all so much for listening. Hope you have a great two weeks and I will talk to you all in the next episode. Bye guys. Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it, or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. 
Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Bartha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz and how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts.